dumb. Look dumb? It's like this. Like what? Um. Retired. <laughs> Are ya? Afraid so. I haven't not got lots of money. I've got enough. But I'll do anything not to offend you. But I can't take part. I'm not really up to it. Not up to it? No, I'm not. I see. I'd be useless. Useless? I would be. In what way? In every fucking way. Are you swearing? I'm not swearing. That was retired gangster Gal trying to talk his way out of one last job without upsetting the intimidating and unpredictably violent Don in British crime classic Sexy Beast. This week, we follow another criminal caught between a rock and a hard place and who's oh so desperately trying to get out in gritty Irish crime drama, Calm With Horses. We also head into the no man's land of a war correspondent and then ride full throttle into the depths of hell in this week's What Have You Been Watching? We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. This is Cellcast. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. I'm just saying, thanks and all that, thanks for thinking of me, but I'm just going to have to turn this opportunity down. No, you're just going to have to turn this opportunity, yes. So this week, I took up yoga. Not really, I just watched more movies. Oh, so uh, Sam, what have, what have you been watching? So this week, uh, I watched *A Private War* from 2018, starring Rosamund Pike. Yeah. Uh, *A Private War* tells the story of Marie Colvin, uh, who was one of the most revered foreign journalists of her generation. Um, she covered wars in East Timor, Iraq, Syria. Um, she was sort of re- very recognisable from an eye patch she wore because she lost one of her eyes during a rocket attack in Sri Lanka. Um, The film starts in Homs in Syria in 2012, but we sort of retreat a decade or so uh, where she loses her eye, um, and then it tells the story of of the build-up to her coverage in Syria. War is not so terrible for governments, for they are not wounded or killed like ordinary people. Our mission is to speak the truth to power. What happened? They've opened fire on journalists. If the government catches you, they'll kill you. The film is about Colvin rather than journalism itself. I think it wants to show her fragility as well as her boldness in the face of war. Her alcoholism as well as her unreliability is portrayed in sort of an unflinching way. But um, it also addresses some of the modern issues foreign correspondents face, such as being a target rather than a neutral observer, the PTSD that follows being in conflict, and how much humanity is sort of taken out of you when you're um, involved on the front line. So yeah, it's another pretty gripping, and in parts very disturbing movie. But um, yeah, it's actually made by Matthew Heinemann, who directed uh, Cartel Land. And he also did City of Ghosts, which was um, a documentary set in another Middle Eastern country. Um, I can't quite remember which conflict it was It was covering. But um, yeah, it definitely has that sort of documentary feel about it. So he's also kind of a journalist yes. that's been in, in conflict zones. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because Cartel Land um, is very much about the war on drugs. And so it takes places in some of the most dangerous parts of Mexico, really, as well as just across the border um, in America, where... Um, yeah, they're trying to um, stop drugs coming into the country. Yeah, um, a private war. I think it's um, if you've, if you've seen a film about war journalists before, um, there are a few that pop up um, over the over the previous years. I, I don't think it's doing anything new, 
But I think Marie Colvin, within sort of journalism circles, was a bit of a hero of many. Yeah, a lot of people got into journalism because of her foreign reporting over over the eighties and nineties. It, it sort of portrays her, yeah, as I said, in a very unflinching way. But um, yeah, I think she's in a, a, like a really interesting character. The thing with journalism, it can be criticised for, especially on reporting on conflicts and that people go in, they report, and they go out, um, and they just see that as their job. But other people try to make more of a difference, um, and I think that's what Marie Colvin tried to do. You generally really like movies about uh, journalism. Does does this rate quite highly? Do you think in in or, or do you think there's there's other ones you prefer? Because I think you, obviously there are lots of different films about journalism. You know, you got films like Spotlight, which won the Oscar for Best Picture when it got released, and that's very much about investigative journalism. You've got things like All the President's Men and how basically how two journalists can you know make such a change in the political and democratic process. Um, so yeah, you've got obviously lots of different factors. Yeah, okay, lots of different kinds of yeah. films. Yeah, um, and I think actually a lot of films about foreign journalists are often better done in documentaries because I think the of, the problem that you get when you're making films about journalism about journalists going into sort of conflict zones is that the the scenes within those conflict zones sometimes feel a bit fake. Yeah, they don't quite capture what it's like to be in those areas. But actually, the good thing about having Matthew Heinemann as the director yeah. is that I think, because he's worked in those areas, he has an eye for detail about what it's like. So one of the best scenes is in Syria. Um, and a couple bring in their son, who's just been killed by a bomb. And there's an amazing scene where it just lingers on the father's face. And you almost completely forget that you're watching a film about Marie Colvin. Um, and you're actually really trying to... You're beginning to understand and empathise with the... You know, with the people that um, are part of this conflict, these these innocent people that just are in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think that's like a really strong element of it. What I would say is that I think filmmakers often struggle because in the end they tend to glorify war in a way right. when they make films about it, um, and especially war correspondents, because a lot of these people, and I think this is illustrated in this, is that they can be quite sick people because, yeah, um, as I've said, people... Uh, people who cover these conflicts come back with PTSD. They struggle with alcohol and drugs. Um, and there's even a bit where Marie Colvin goes to a clinic. So you start to really understand what it, how much it sort of takes out of you. A quote that I read from Lindsay Hilsom, who works for Channel 4. Um, she wrote a biography on Marie Colvin. And she said about the film that a private war tries to show the real woman behind the myth. But by definition, if they make a feature film of your life, you become a legend. So that's the problem is that right. they, they are trying to show... This character did have a lot of issues. It's kind of got this question mark about whether this line between bravery and just putting yourself in too much danger. Um, And actually, I think that they are very careful about that. But ultimately, if you do make a film about these people, they do become a legend. And maybe that encourages people to, you know, go beyond those lines of bravery. But let's talk about the performances, because, like, actually... Rosamund Pike, even though um, she's not the perfect fit in terms of likeness, because Marie Colvin sort of was very, you know, embattled and, you know, a very sort of like butch and strong woman. And Rosamund Pike, you sort of see, um, she's sort of more... Photogenic. She's more photogenic, exactly. Um, but that's not always hugely salient in biopics. Like, you get great people playing sort of people who have existed, who don't look too similar to them, but they're still able to evoke a feeling or evoke a persona. Yeah, um, and she definitely captures uh, Marie Colvin's charisma and daring, and definitely a sense of adventure that most war journalists have. But not to make that job sound twee or anything. We've also got Tom Hollander coming in, who plays the 
Um, oh, I, editor, love, I love Tom Holland. Exactly, yeah. I mean, so every scene he's in is is pretty brilliant. Um, yeah. He's he's much more of a sympathetic character than you think he's going to be. I think there's a bit of a dark side to him, the way that he, he uses Marie Colvin a little bit. Um, and again, like I feel it's based on a real guy as well. I think um, the character's called Sean Ryan. I always feel slightly uncomfortable when... You know, you portray characters in a certain way, but overall, I think he comes comes across quite well, and they do that that character justice. But um, yeah, Stanley Tucci comes in and plays a bit of a love interest. Um, I, I also love Stanley Tucci. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a film if you love Stanley Tucci and want to see him. Really, okay. I think he's only in it for two or three scenes. Um, doesn't really do a lot of the character. I think I do. Kind of was wondering whether is he sort of friends with someone in the production? Is he does he know someone who's made this and they've asked him to come in and do it? You know, it's. Um, I never not want to see Stanley Tucci in a film, so um, <laughs> so that's still fine. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, I, I really like films about journalists and about journalism itself. So for uh, to watch a film about someone who existed and will probably go down as one of the most like revered female journalists of her generation, then yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think it's really it's really really good. Do you think there's any kind of reason you you really like films about journalists and journalism? Um, I guess I'm quite interested in how the media works and how people react and what they do when they get to these these areas i mean as well it's like i can't even imagine what it must be like to live in those conditions yeah. and be a part of a country that's suddenly tearing itself apart in terms of um yeah in terms of war uh, so yeah i guess what foreign journalists do is they can give you even a little bit of an imagination about what that's like and i think it's just a really tough and difficult job to do. I've also seen other. There was an amazing documentary about Tim Heverington, who was a photographer who was killed in Libya. Um, there's an amazing documentary about him about what he was trying to do. So yeah, there's. Um, I guess there are other films that I've seen in the build up to this that um, look or resemble or can be linked to this in a certain way. So um, yeah, I guess a private was filled with yeah all the the complexities of being someone in that area you know whether you're like involved in it in terms of the media whether you're involved in it in terms of you know being a citizen of these of these countries it's got loads of good performances and i as i what i would say just finally is that some films that take place in war zones fail to capture what it's like for the people caught up in it but this film and i think mainly thanks to the director's history of being involved in documentaries and seeing people in this sort of crisis he really focuses on them at times when other films wouldn't so i think that's a really strong element of it as well as rosamund pike's portrayal of marie colvin cool so as you've alluded to you've sacrificed doing yoga to um, <laughs> watch loads of uh, films for this audience's benefit um so what have you been watching oh well for this audience's benefit my sister has a Nicolas Cage film watching club, or I think it might be a bad movies film watching club. Very niche. Uh, yeah, very niche. <laughs> and this week she watched Ghost Rider uh, from 2007, and I joined her for that, which I really, really regret. <laughs> because uh, I've always somehow avoided watching Ghost Rider. Um, I, for I don't, good reason. For a good reason. I don't really regret it. I always think like, Watching a terrible movie can be a really worthwhile experience, especially if it's got Nicolas Cage in. Especially if it's got Nicolas Cage in it, and uh, he's been in a lot of bad movies. He he's really has big, a big choice, <laughs> and he but he always gives a very cagey performance, which is he's got this absolute cult following, a famous cult following, Nicolas Cage. So let me paint you a picture, Sam. It's two thousand and seven. 
And superhero things are the biggest thing going. The superhero genre is not what we know of as now. No, exactly. That is very key. It's before Marvel Studios like starting pushing out like Iron Man and stuff. Most people still didn't know who Christopher Nolan was and the Dark Knight trilogy becoming the Batman films. That wasn't a f- really a thing yet, even though Batman Begins had come out. My MySpace background was Metal Gear Solid fan art, so there's a lot to unpack there. But this film is the first film in a while that I've watched um, from that quote-unquote like old school of superhero like blockbuster behemoths, you know, very much coming off of the success of of, of Spider Man in like the 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 early noughties. So, Ghost Rider is the st- uh, story of stunt bike rider Johnny Blaze, who makes a deal with the devil when he's a kid to save someone he loves, uh, and the cost of that is that the devil might come back at some point and turn him into his enforcer on planet Earth called Ghost Rider, who's this basically a skeleton with a flaming skull who rides uh, a motorbike, and uh, then to deal out justice to demons and and other things. And then, basically, the devil's son, uh, who's called Blackheart, comes onto planet Earth with an evil plan, and Ghost Rider gets roped in to stop him. I'm not doing it. You have no choice. Story goes that he'll be normal during the day. But at night, in the presence of evil, the rider takes over. Any man who sells his soul for love has the power to change the world. I can smell your fear. I'm going to take this curse and use it against you. You have this rat shopper. Goes off flames and stuff. His face was a skull, and it was on fire. On fire. Like. So it got really bad reviews, and it's famously really bad, but I didn't realise it was this bad. So there's loads and loads of problems with it. Like, it's from that old school um, of, of superhero films. So it's got all this stuff in it that has just aged really, really badly. There's no, like, innovation, no ambition, no fun. Everything feels so clunky and, like, paint-by-numbers. I mean, I know I've got my problems with, like, Marvel films and stuff. But, you know, at least every now and again there feels like like some kind of flair. Like, someone's trying something. In these, like, you forget going back to, like, these films that are kind of, like, made in the wake of the, the, the those Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Like, just how... how fucking dull they are and how nobody nobody seemed to like care about how they were made it's also just so full of nonsense like there might be some massive like ghost rider fans out there people that love like the comic book series that can tell me different then there might be adaptations of him that that are better and add depth but as far as i know right batman he's about morality and whether you can make society and and human beings better right spider-man's about growing up and taking responsibility but Ghost Rider is a leather-clad skeleton on a motorbike, and he's on fire. He, he's just a biker tattoo. That's all he is. He's, he's not really... There's no meaning there. There's no deep thing about this character. So it's unsurprising that they make a film that just doesn't have any any depth or anything you can like really cling on to, right? If they'd gone with that, that would have been great. If they'd made it like really stylized and insane, or like a whole body full of crazy biker tattoos just come to life and make it like maybe like a really trippy thing or maybe maybe something a bit more like 
three hundred, or like or or like Sucker Punch, you know, something that is just really imaginative. I've picked two Zack Snyder films there. Uh, but, oh, and there's a correlation with that being bad, those being bad as well. <laughs> but like, I don't know if you'd have just made it like a massive, like like crazy fantasy. That might have been a great way to go, but they don't. Because, again, this is made in the wake of Spider-Man, so they try and tell, like, a real story, which has these unintended hilarious results. Like, sometimes there are physics when they want to do a joke. Like, at one point, uh, a policeman, like, hits Ghost Rider in the face with a nightstick, and it, it, like, dislocates his jaw, but then Ghost Rider just puts the jaw back in place and laughs, right? So it wants, like, physics then. But then... The rest of the time, he's just doing... He's, like, like riding his bike up the, the side of, like, buildings and stuff. And, and like, it just sort of magics away. So the, the, the problem is that sometimes there are rules to the powers and rules to the magic, right? And sometimes there just aren't. There's no consistency. So it just completely takes you out of the film when you have to keep, like, bouncing between this stuff. Where are we putting this in the pantheon of bad superhero films? Oh, you, you know... Right at the bottom. No. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like this is this has been the significant thing of me watching Ghost Rider is that as I was watching it, as it was going on, I realised that this is probably going to be one of the worst superhero films I've ever seen. Maybe one of the worst films I've ever seen. Like, what are we talking like Batman Forever, Batman and Robin Bad? Or yeah, ironically, for a film about the Infernal, it has no soul. It, here's a great example of it. It's amazing. Ghost Rider never gets into a real fight. Like, he's, it's a superhero film. He never gets into a real fight. There are these demons that have these powers linked to the elements, like wind and earth and stuff, right? When he gets into comes into conflict with them, there's no action. He just does one thing with his powers, and they die. There's no excitement. There's no tension. He just does one really, like, ropey-looking CGI effect, a uh, piece of nonsense, and he's won. The end. The end of that conflict. Like, the closest he gets to a fight is picking up, like, a hunk of flaming gravel and chucking it at Blackheart, the big, big baddie. But it looks like a, a snowball fight. <laughs> it's, it, it's absolutely ludicrous. So it's like, the reason it's, it's going down so low is because it's, it's like, got all of the bad bits that have aged in, in those old-school superhero films. And then, like, no exciting bits... And just, like, absolute nonsense, where it feels like they're making up the thing as they go along. Here's a great example, right? In the story, they're always just sort of half-telling what's going on, and then trailing off. And then you're just confused. So you you just go, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, you've moved on to something else. Oh, Oh, you've changed this. Why? Like, so the plot revolves around this, like, mystical contract that contains all the evil souls of, a, a, like, a Wild West town that went bad, right? And that there's, like, an old ghost rider that used to be a ghost rider, but he was riding a horse, right? And that ghost rider hides it from the devil because he thinks this is too powerful. Never established why it's too powerful, this contract with all these souls on it. They just move on really quickly. So then a few hundred years later, Blackheart comes up to Earth, the son of the devil, to find the scroll. So he wants to take over the planet, First thing Blackheart does is he walks into a biker bar, kills everyone in it. All these people that are much bigger and tougher than him, he just touches them. They just die, right? Nothing can hurt him, because you can't shoot him because he's kind of infernal, except, like, the Ghost Rider. But even then, he outdoes the Ghost Rider, like, pretty often. Then he gets the element demons together, who look like a shit new metal band, by the way. (laughs) Um, With the name of a shit new metal band. (laughs) The element demons, yeah. Then the the devil comes up to Earth and goes, oh, don't do that, Blackheart, don't do that. And he says, and Blackheart says, you have no power over me here. So... 
My question to Blackheart, if I could talk to this fictional character, is you can kill anyone at will, nothing harms you, and Daddy has no power over you. Why the fuck are you chasing after this scroll? You have everything you need. You can already take over the world! Like, why do you need this scroll? Or, or like, at the end, right? At the end, the devil has forced Nicolas Cage to become the Ghost Rider throughout the whole thing. Like, Nicolas Cage has, has no power, no agency. As soon as he snaps his fingers, the devil can just make Nicolas Cage become Ghost Rider, ride on the bike, the, the Ghost Rider kind of takes over, Nicolas Cage starts to get a bit of control over it, but basically he's just like, he's stuck in this contract that he signed, right? And also, a contract that the, the devil, like, reneged on, as the devil usually does, you know, these ironic soul-selling contracts, right? So the, the devil's had control over everything. And then at the end, Nicolas Cage is like, I ain't giving these powers back. And the devil's like, oh, you'll pay for this. And I'm like, when has this been established? That you literally, ha you, you've had this power over him the whole time, and then suddenly he's a free agent, and he's like, I'm just going to be the Ghost Rider, and the devil's like, that really pisses me off. Like, they don't, they don't establish any of these rules, they don't establish any of these, like, motives of, the, of these things that can happen. So it's just awful, absolutely right at the bottom. But it's like a sequel. Yeah, sequel, because it made silly money. Because this was a time when, you know, Nicolas Cage could still be in big blockbuster films. People turned up and seen it. But it, was, it took them ages to put it together, because I don't think anyone wanted to be a part of it again, apart from maybe Nicolas Cage, who's a bit of a fan. Oh, he doesn't care what he does these days. <laughs> so it took them ages to put together a sequel, but they did. But apparently that's even worse. Um, but now I feel like I have to watch that as well, just to, just to complete it, see if it's any better. All these different things about Ghost Rider... It's like a mosaic of shit. Like, and all the little mosaic bits are little bit of shit that build up to, like, a big picture of shit. And, like, that's what watching Ghost Rider was like. In conclusion, the news for my What Have You Been Watching is this week... Is that it's shit? Is that it's shit? But, but also that, like... That you, you remember, like, I, wa I went on this journey where we watched some terrible action movies, right? We watched, like, Spencer Confident potential and yep. bloodshot and stuff yep. and then i had to kind of fall in love with them again over the past few weeks you know i watched those swashbucklers last week we watched extraction i really felt like i was back on path the hunt as well the hunt yeah i think the hunt was good you know i i, I really felt like kind of depressed about the action genre like and now i feel like I've, I've won it back well within a few days now i have to do the whole thing again with superhero films now i'm gonna have to find a way to get back into superhero movies which is really time consuming so yeah, so that's going to be me for the next couple of weeks, I guess. You want to wish me luck? <laughs> no, I was going to say that um, I've actually heard of a good superhero film called Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, oh, um... don't. No, I'm not. No, I can't go back into that. And so this week we watched Calm With Horses, which has just been released to rent and to buy on BFI Player, Sky Store and other streaming platforms. And Sam's going to tell you the plot. Arm is an ex-boxer who is friends with the nephew of one of the local drug dealers. He's used by this crime family as muscle to intimidate and hurt their enemies. However, he needs money to help his son and his ex-girlfriend make a better life for themselves and has to decide whether to commit murder to ease their situation. Or, as a haiku, tough guy in bad place. Cross the homicidal line, Hibernian bleak. It's actually one of your best ones. Really? And here's a clip. People say they're trouble to Devers. I didn't get the joke, Lex. But I say all families have their problems. I don't want him to be around you. Because of the things that you do. So what do you think of this one? 
Well, yeah, it is fairly dark, expecting nothing less, really. It's sort of in this quite sort of bleak area of Ireland with um, a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. But I think overall it's it's pretty strong. The performances by Cosmo Jarvis, who plays Arm, incredible. Um, and then one of my favourite actors around, Barry Keogh, um, plays Dimna, who's one of the who's his friend, the nephew of one of the local drug dealers. And they're both incredible. They both work off each other really, really well. I think what you say about their relationship, um, it's a lot about control and power. Yeah. Um so Dimna Right from the very first scene, when he basically persuades Arm to beat up someone that's done the family wrong, he manipulates him in a way to um, go and do that. There's a monologue at the beginning where Arm is just thinking in his head and he's talking about the world that he sees around him and actually he comes across as a non-violent person. But that's obviously in contradiction what he has to do um, for this 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 big crime family right from the start it's just very sort of very disturbing in that aspect yeah it starts really really strong in that way i think it's it's interesting to his relationship he he's describing his relationship with violence and i thought that was a really a really good start the opening is like my favorite bit because it cements this mood of this terrible place and the horrible ugly things that go on here and that's the mood that this that this bleak place sucks goodness from people and it maintains that all the way through. Do you remember when we were t- watching like history, true history of the Kelly Gang, and we talked about the scenery being really bleak and beautiful at the same time? It's exactly the same here. Uh, these like huge hills and the green of the Irish countryside, but with these cloudy grey skies and any human beings here inhabit dilapidated, depressed like pubs and clubs and fairgrounds and homes and stuff that are just wrecked by poverty. Yeah, it's just a really foreboding landscape, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. You just feel like there's sort of death and destruction around every corner. It matches the kind of the, the, the drama of the film as well. Yeah. Um, starting off with the relationship between um, Arm and Dimna, it's kind of ambiguous how much their relationship is, is genuine and how much he's being manipulated. And I think that even though it, this is all from Arm's perspective, I think Dimna also was having his own crisis of conscience kind of throughout it although it's not ever fully clear because we're not really following him at what points and exactly the questions that are going on in his mind I really got the sense that he was a a man in conflict just like Arm was as well yeah I don't think it's particularly addressed but um, I think Dimna is gay and um, I think that's sort of another sort of power and control element of their relationship that I think he is a bit of a lust for Arm do you think? Um, yeah and I think He's trying to... I think in some sort of way, he's got this like huge um, yeah, attraction towards him. And I think there's um, there's a bit in a club where um, there's this just very quite homoerotic moment between the two of them. And yeah. it feels like something could happen. They're both taking a lot of drink and drugs. And yeah, so I think that's sort of, yeah, another part of their sort of slightly twisted um, relationship. I mean, there's lots of uncomfortable scenes between the two of them. Um, the way that he treats them is almost like an animal. You know, he. Yeah. The way he sort of clicks like arms a horse, and sort of that is sort of very disturbing in a way. And there's a bit where they're sitting in, um, yeah, this abandoned train station, and he's literally force feeding arm drugs because, you know, that night they want him to go and commit a crime. And Dimner's really trying to G him up for it. And he does this by literally giving him as much cocaine as he possibly can. And arms sort of clearly uncomfortable with the situation, he doesn't want any. It's another mechanism used, so armed as they're bidding for them. Yeah. 
the, the, the main like spine of the film um, as well, and I think this is not just in their relationship, but obviously it, it's all through Arm's perspective, so Arm's at the centre of a lot of this, but it's about a lot of things in the film. It's about the horror of organised crime and about how it manipulates and corrupts people. Like, I always feel really uncomfortable when I see a comment on, on Reddit or on YouTube, which is my own fault, because I shouldn't read the comments on these places. When people justify a character, they like doing something awful in The Sopranos or, or Ozark or, like, another crime film or something by saying, oh, they were in the game or, or something something like that. And it's like, no, they, they, these people were, like, doing something terrible and, and being part of this world makes you a predator. And it's and, and you're just and you're just saying that because you you like the character or you want to kind of believe in this person. But no, that, that it's 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 an evil thing. Uh, and I I mean I like gangster movies as much as the next guy. And you know who doesn't fantasize about being brick top from Snatch? You know now and again. But films like Calm with Horses are about the nastiness and the cruelty of that world, which is much more realistic and actually is a is a good antidote to a lot of that bullshit fantasy. Yeah, I think most of the film is an example of how criminals manipulate others to commit the worst of acts on their behalf. Yeah. So a lot of the people that end up going in prison working for these gangsters are often the people who have been put into a corner where they 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 can't say no to these people. And obviously like there are going to be people in prison that love to indulge in these acts. But actually someone like Arm you feel has come from a good place and just ended up in a really bad situation is is now being controlled and He's like their puppet in a way. Yeah. Um, I guess we should sort of address the title really, because um, at one point um, Arm goes to see his ex-girlfriend, um, who's the mother of his only son, mm-hmm. um, and his son ha- is disabled. Um, I don't think it's ever said, but he has autism, um, and therefore he gets taken to this um, this place where he can ride a horse and like play with horses and. There's just a real sort of serenity and beauty about it, and yeah. in a scene after that, um, Arm goes to goes back to that same area, um, and he gets to like ride the horse, and I think that's sort of a nice comparison and one way that the film shows that him and his son aren't too far apart, and some types of autism people find it very difficult to articulate themselves, mm. um, and I just wonder if Arm, like his son, is also on the spectrum. Um, but not to the same extent, and this is why he really struggles to, when he's talking to people, he can't often emote or talk about his feelings, um, even though, right from the very first scene, he's shown as a very sensitive and thoughtful person. Yeah, it could be that he's, yeah, on the spectrum, it could be that the boxing could have left him with uh, a, a, a possible disability, it could just be that it's in his personality, but the way that his son finds that place of serenity in a world that can be so chaotic when he's with the horses is exactly what Arm's looking for. I think that's what the title's really about. Arm is is looking for that place of serenity. and The way he needs to do that is to try and get out of this world. It's actually full of really great performances. There's lots of, like, Irish actors that you'll have seen in, like, other bits and pieces who, who put in some, like, great performances really like feel like really of of this world it's it's the wonderful things but particularly um the lead who plays arm who's cosmo jarvis who's not really been in very much he's relatively unknown but you really get a sense of this man that's that's stuck in this web and caught between these two worlds and perhaps isn't quite strong or willful enough to break free 
And and like we've been talking about, the film is really about this question of whether he can break free. Where is going to be his serene place? Can he get to that serene place? And what, what does it mean? What would it mean to really break free? He's carrying around guilt and other emotions, but it's a performance where he manages to keep it all inside and, and communicate that. And I love performances like that. It's it it's something that I think the character really would do, and it's great that that uh, Cosmo Jarvis could could communicate that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost it's always so difficult when you play a role that doesn't have much dialogue, and you and you need to show and not tell. Yeah, and that's what he does very well because I think, yeah, as you've expressed, there's this duality between someone who's used as a as the strength as the muscle, but actually someone who, in his core, I don't I think is very anti-violent, and I think the whole film really is is about anti-violence. Yeah, um, right up to the final scene, we won't spoil it. There's loads of great moments. I think particularly in that ending, there's some like really wonderful, like very beautiful moments in, in the drama and everything. As we're talking about um, sort of non-verbal parts, I think one of my attractions to the film was Barry Keogh, because he's one of my favourite actors. Yeah. And the first thing I saw him in was 71, which um, came out in 2014. And his part is essentially non-verbal, but it's just one of those um, performances where he has so much presence in it. Yeah. And it's just the looks that he gives. I thought, well, that actor's incredible, even though he's maybe only in the film sort of very briefly. But I'm sort of, so I'm sort of pleased that he's gone on to, you know, work in Hollywood and do some some really really outstanding performances at such a young age. Yeah, he's great. I, I think he's 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 the kind of person that takes that presence with him wherever he goes, and he can kind of dial it up or dial it down wherever he is. I even remember seeing him in Chernobyl. Uh, the the HBO TV series and it's just they he just brings something even though he's only in one episode he manages to communicate so much kind of like weariness and uh, and a kind of bleakness with with very little he's I can see exactly why you follow him so much because he's 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 definitely worth uh, the time and I'm sure he's got uh, great things in store for us in the future there's elements of the film despite like a lot of things to love about it I think there are elements of it that feel kind of well trodden there's there's parts of it that just aren't going to be as memorable as other bits. There's some really great things in it and really great moments, but like overall, as a as a complete film, I'm not sure how much it's going to stick in my mind. I'm actually going to, and I generally don't really know, I'm going to have to just wait and see by the end of the year if, if Calm With Horses is still kind of like rattling around in my brain. I think just maybe perhaps it's the sequences and some of the mood as well done as it is, feels like we've kind of been here a bit before. Yeah, I remember um, there's a scene in a pub where um, Dimmer attacks someone who's sort of barely said anything to him at all, and it's sort of it's just a bit of a lash out because he's been humiliated. And the way the mu- music rises and then hits him over the head with a bottle, I just feel like yeah, that's this is something that um, I've seen seen before. Not particularly interesting or well executed part of the part of the film, but. Um, I can understand where you're coming from. I guess when you're making an independent film at such a low budget, it is always difficult to be sort of. It can be difficult to be sort of very distinctive. Um, but I think it's just playing with such heavy themes, um, yeah. and it does it in sort of a very intelligent way. That you know, it's, you're not always going to remember certain bits from it, but it's just the moods that it creates for me. So yeah. even though there are scenes that I will forget and I'm not going to come back to, it's the mood that it created that made it sort of quite special for me. Yeah. It feels like I'm nitpicking a bit because I think I don't want to put people off the film uh, by making it sound like hard work. <laughs> but like the more I thought about it, 
the more I've kind of got from it. And actually, pick it's one of these films where I think if you go in with a, with an idea that you're going to give it a bit of a dissection and think it over, that's how you're going to get the most out of it, I think. I think it's a funny thing because the more, the more I think about it and pick at it, the more interesting it becomes. It's very much one of these like gritty crime dramas that maybe are more common over here, over the decades, than they are with our Irish cousins. So you might get a bit lost in some of the familiar ground that's trodden, but it, it's a really moving lo-fi thriller with some great elements, and I'm going to be really interesting to see uh, what the director does next. Yeah, the director, Nick Rowland, this is his first uh, feature film. He's done quite a few short films, and I feel like this is a feature film that he can show to other production companies, to other studios, and um, it's clearly a film that has been well-made, as I've said, really intelligent, um, and yeah, and I think we'll definitely be seeing him in the future, and yeah, he could be a director you know, that goes across the pond or makes even bigger budget um, British films, but I feel like it's a really, really strong film, made for not a lot of money um, and when that happens you always need the performances to be strong and um, right across the board even characters who maybe appear in it for two or three scenes they make such an impact and um, yeah I definitely recommend going to see it Most people know to stay on the right side of the Devers family I'm what you meet if you ever find yourself on the wrong side so if you like this, then I think you should watch another film that's all about crime and, and family and stuff. And that movie is, of course, Big Mama's House. How <laughs> <laughs> an undercover FBI agent that has to dress up like an old lady. <laughs> With hilarious consequences. Because he really fancies the girl that he's pretending to be grandmother to. Oh, it's not really that. I'm not going to talk about that. So if you like this, I think you should watch Trespass Against Us from 2017. It's the story of Chad Cutler, played by Michael Fassbender, who is the oldest son in a family of caravan-dwelling petty criminals run by his father Colby, played by Brendan Gleeson. They live just outside of a town in Gloucestershire, getting into increasingly tougher scrapes with the police and locals as Chad tries to work out a way to get him, his wife, son and daughter out from the doomed and dangerous world that he's been stuck in all his life. I'm getting away from you, Colt. I'm just trying to look after my family. I'm your family. Full disclosure, Trespassed Against Us is a bit of a mixed bag. Some amazing talent and some great themes, but maybe not that memorable. And this is sort of my experience with Calm With Horses, though I think that Calm With Horses is far more moving and effective. They're almost parallel films in a lot of ways. The father trying to get out from an ugly criminal world he's stuck in, the, the depressing, poverty-laden setting... If you love the beautifully bleak of the criminal underclass that you got in Horses, then Trespass Against Us will give you that same flavour. The family themes, the trying to get out from something, it's all there. Trespass is sunnier, not just in its setting of a Gloucestershire summertime, but also Chad feels a bit less doomed than Arm. His salvation is on the cusp, but whether he can reach out and grab it is the point of the film. It's also less about a personal salvation, like in Calm With Horses, and very much about his family. He wants out and stability, not because a sword of Damocles is hanging over his head, but because there's a better life out there than ram raids and burglaries. Perhaps leave it a couple of months before watching it, as they are almost too closely related, and both share Bradley Keogh in a role, but afterwards, get this down, yeah. Yeah, I think they're very similar in tone, um, and almost in the events that happen in the film. Yeah. Um, but I think Fassbender is very good in it. Um, there's a scene 
where he's sitting in a classroom. And I think over the course of the film, this is someone that's always struggled with education, reading and writing. Um, And it just feels like a really claustrophobic moment. And you can see how someone in that position can be easily humiliated. There's also a really good comparison you can do between Arm from Carmen Forces and Michael Fassbender's character in Trespass Against Us. It's also got um, Sean Harris in it. Who's yeah again another actor that oh, yeah. I would sort of watch anything with him in it. Um, Sean Harris is another one of these actors that's very good in films like this. He feels like just part of the scenery yeah. in in all the best ways. Uh, I struggled with whether to recommend this or not because they are really similar and they're only what uh, about two to three years apart. So you're you're going to get a very similar experience going into it. I really can't stress enough that if you did enjoy Calm with Horses. Definitely leave it a little bit before uh, before watching Trespass Against Us. And if you didn't like this, watch The Town. Here's an old school job, bank robbing. You don't get many bank robbers anymore, except in the area of Charlestown, Boston, Massachusetts, USA, which, well, that's actually movie BS that it's the bank robbery capital of America, but that's sort of exactly why I've picked it. The Town is about seasoned bank robber Dougie, who, sensibly, falls in love with a witness to his latest robbery, played by Rebecca Hall. Now he wants out, but before he does, he's got to pull one last big job for a ruthless gangster, played by the late, great Pete Possethwaite, and all the while trying to dodge an obsessive FBI agent, played by John Hamm, and keep his chaotic wild card heist buddy Jim, played by Jeremy Renner, in check. Look, look. Pick up an extra guy. All right, I'll go with three guys. I'll fucking be smart and boot it. So you're not going? No. Why is that? Because we've got a ton of fucking heat on us, for one thing. We'll put a move on him, right? We've done it a hundred times before. You know what? Forget it. Do what you want to do. I'm done. What? I'm what? done. You're done? What does it sound like? I don't know. What's that, what's that mean? What the fuck you thinking, man? What does that mean you're done? It sounds like a bunch of fucking bullshit. Let me put it to you this way. I'm putting this whole fucking town in my rear view. Being stuck in a town full of questionable allegiances that's pulling you into a dangerous world is part of both Calm With Horses and the town. That and they're both about the Irish. But the crime in the town is just so damned exciting. The heists they pull off are bold, bombastic affairs full of machine gun fire and edge-of-your-seat chases through tight Boston streets. Add to that shots of real Boston locations and people, which is a bit of a Ben Affleck staple, and a sharp, high-stakes script, and it creates a thrilling, dangerous world of Charlestown crime. Of course, it's fictional, but that's okay. This is Affleck at his best as a filmmaker. In Calm With Horses, it's the point that Arm is in a bad place, and Dougie in the town is too, but the journey he goes on is much more full of thrills. But I don't want to make it feel lightweight. It's got its own version of grit and violence. Charlestown is established as a nasty place where nasty things happen. And Jeremy Renner's Oscar-nommed performance as scene-stealing mad dog Jem is wonderful. But it is more of a fantasy. If Calm With Horses depresses you, or maybe gritty crime stories from this side of the pond are feeling a bit dull, then jump back into one of the best heist films ever made. Though Cellcast holds no responsibility for any bad Boston accents you try after you do it. Yeah, if you watched Calm With Horses under false pretenses and you thought that you were going to get a bit more of a gangster flick, then uh, yeah, the town's exactly what you're looking for. Um, I mean, they're at complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of money and you know high-profile actors. Yeah. Um, but actually, I think the performances are still like Calm With Horses, really good in the town. And You've actually, got so much talent there. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go wrong. I mean, it's all it, it, it's wonderful people uh, in there. But it's also, I think, Ben Affleck playing some of his strengths as well. Yeah. 
And it's also about the culture of crime, right? It's yeah, about, it like, is. It's, it's, you know, it's like, just like Calm With Horses. Yeah, because in Calm With Horses, there's this kind of, you know, unwritten code about what you do when you're working in crime. And in the town, it's sort of the same, really. Um, and yeah, there is sort of that really, like, exciting element about when they're gearing up to do a heist and, you know, being chased by police. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure because that would say that there's something sort of wrong with it. And I don't think there is. I think... This is obviously Ben Affleck, like a lot of people of his and our generation were inspired by Heat. Um, and there's been lots of bad imitations of Heat over the years. But actually, I think this is one of those films that... Um, it's a worthy successor to Heat. Yeah, I a think. worthy successor, exactly. Um, it's funny you, you talk about guilt, because I completely... <laughs> I, I feel guilty as well. Maybe it's because we're doing it in the context of Calm With Horses. It feels like after just watching like an intense drama that's really kind of criticising... Uh, the criminal element it's it's hard to then go to a film like the town and not maybe feel a bit guilty about something that's this is a much bigger discussion but maybe glorifying it a bit more maybe just like trespass against us leave it a couple of months go and watch what what, don't watch anything about crime after watching car with horses then when you're a bit more settled go back and um pick whichever flavor you kind of prefer Thank you so much for listening to Cellcast. You can find and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as Cellcast. And come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Cell Magazine.